I want to welcome everybody to episode number 42 of Preston Jensen's podcast. Tonight, I've got a very special guest, someone I know personally, uh, Ethan Preston with Preston Outdoors. Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey on YouTube. How's it going, everybody? I appreciate you having me on the, the Preston Jensen podcast. This is pretty cool. I didn't actually know you ran one, and then I started listening to your podcast when you invited me on here. I was like, dude, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. But yeah, um, my name is Ethan Preston. Um, I'm from Tower City, North Dakota. Um, I run Preston Outdoors, which is basically my brand, obviously named after my last name, and the outdoors hunting and fishing mostly based around that. Um, run a YouTube channel. Been doing that for about five, six years now. Just started getting into the podcast world and uh, basically the social media world surv- sur- um, surrounding the uh, hunting and fishing industry. Also got into probably it's five years now into competitive tournament bass fishing, and that's kind of what I'm what I'm working towards to hopefully someday become a pro bass fisherman. So that's kind of where I'm at with everything. So did you have a love for filmmaking before fishing or fishing first? Oh, fishing hands down first. I, yeah. It, and I, I tell my wife this all the time, if it wasn't for me trying to, and we'll talk about this probably later, but um, for me trying to grow my brand, I take a ton of pictures the way it is, but if it wasn't for me trying to grow my brand, I probably wouldn't even have like videos and all that stuff just because it is so much work. But um it's, it's another way to get your name out there and stuff like that. But I mean, since I, I've, we've got videotape, you're, you're older than I am. So you know this, but the, the old VHS video cameras, my mom had that. And I've seen video of myself catching my first fish, probably at two and a half, three years old, bluegill off the dock, classic fishing story, stuff like that. So fishing was definitely my first love compared to um, filmmaking. So is that something you just slowly got into or uh, have you always had a love for, uh, filming. Cause it sounds like that's pretty impressive that you've got your first fish on film. I mean, not too many of us can say that, but, uh, what got you into the filmmaking side of things? Well, I've, I have to say that after my mom, she was always one to maybe not capture film. Maybe she, I mean, maybe she did start it subconsciously, but my mom always took pictures. I mean, pictures, 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 pictures. You got to take pictures. And she, like I said, I mentioned she had the big vhs video camera and um i mean i could go watch vhs films with my brother and i just playing in the yard or running around i mean just capturing little moments that she kept and so maybe subconsciously that had something to do with it but for me um we both know Derek elliott my cousin right yep. he actually had a, he had a gopro okay and he had a gopro mounted with a selfie stick basically and we go on a usually every year go on a family vacation in minnesota and it was him jumping off the bridge going underwater, him wakeboarding, him skateboarding and going into town, stuff like just little clips, basically a traditional highlight video of his week camping. And he came out with, with just simple music. I mean, simple edit. I went, dude, that is freaking awesome. And he goes, yeah, it wasn't that hard. I'm like, what, what do I, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And he had an old GoPro. He just put it in his backpack, let it bounce around. Didn't really take care of it at all. I'm like, you just let that thing sit there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I use it every once in a while, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, that's what I want to do because what, what kid doesn't want to be on TV? Absolutely. Honestly. And so was the GoPro, kid, was the GoPro the first camera you bought? Yes. The GoPro, actually, I told my mom, my dad, I said, it can be my birthday present. It can be my Christmas present. I think it was $350. It was the GoPro hero three plus black. And they got me one of those. And I was just, I got the camera. I got the SD card. 
I've never edited a video. I've never shot a video before in my life. And so basically I just got a camera and went fishing. That's kind of how it started. So you went fishing, you got your camera, and then when you got it back to the computer, then did you think, oh boy, now what am I going to edit this video on? Uh, or did you use like the GoPro Studio? GoPro Studio, the free software, I threw it on there and literally I put maybe 10 seconds on each side of from fishing. I put on hook set, reeling in the fish, showing it to the camera, and then a clip of putting it back and all with music over it. So your traditional highlight video tried to get it to where you could get the music to beat drop, you know, the cool set the hook when the beat drops kind of thing. But all on GoPro Studio, which was free. It wasn't the best software. You couldn't edit stuff like that. But I will would not talk to the camera. I don't want to see my face on camera. I don't want to talk to the camera because that's <laughs> embarrassing. And that's really where I started. Isn't it tough? Uh, when I hit record for the very first time, I thought, oh, what am I doing? I feel so embarrassed talking to a camera. Did you have that feeling when you started? I didn't want to do it. Yep. <laughs> I, I all, I have a million thoughts that go through my head when I'm hunting and fishing, but I am not going to say any of that because that's just, that's not what I was doing. So I actually took my buddies um, when I was coming up with these videos, they're like, dude, you need to talk to the camera. Tell me what you're fishing. Why are you throwing this bait here? I mean, classic stuff like that. I was like, you just throw that there because you do that. And they're like, well, tell us that in the camera. And so I had to like sit down and go through and be like, oh my gosh, like I have to explain everything what I'm doing instead of just doing it because it got to a point where People were following me because they knew who I was, but they wanted more. And it got to the learning aspect of thing, which is, you know, something I really didn't think of on social media. I thought of it as an entertainment value, but now people are, you know, more and more coming to learn things. And so finally it came to be, I, I didn't start talking to the camera. What I did is I did the highlight video thing and I found out, I put my, um, I don't know, headphones like this that I play Xbox with or whatever, plugged it into the computer and I did the narration. So I'd be like, Over the hey, top. today we're going to do this. So yeah, over top of it. So I didn't have to look at myself I like on camera. It. It's a so good that, strategy. That was the first step. <laughs> well, so have you ever went back and looked at your very first video you posted on YouTube and just thought, man, I appreciate how far I've come from this point all the way to where I am now. You ever go I back? Do, and actually, I do. It's <clears> about, but nobody else can see it because there's some, there was a cool, I want some fishing sound, some fishing music. And I didn't care about monetization. So I didn't really worry about copyright stuff like that. I found some song that had a great beat drop, talked about fishing, but there were some expletives in there. Okay. And I, I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, it came out and I showed a couple of people and they're like, oh, you know, about yep. the song. And I was oh like, boy. Well, maybe we should, I didn't delete it. I put it on private. So I go back and I watch that video from time to time, but nobody <laughs> else can see that. But it's like, you know, that was my first video. I'm not going to delete that. Yes, I'm probably messed up on putting expletives in the music. But it was, <laughs> to me, it was a good beat. I mean, that's what, like if somebody listens to rap music or something like that, I, I can't listen. I understand the words anyway because it's going so fast. Yep. But the strong beat drop in it, that's what I really liked about it. And I mean, frankly, I probably didn't even know there was that many expletives in it until I showed it to someone else. And they went, oh, oh, oh. Like, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be posting this. Yeah, I always <laughs> joke with my mother because uh, – uh, I don't know. Uh, the beat is good and with sports and stuff. I mean, uh, some of that music goes well with it. And I always used to tell my mom, mom, I'm not listening to the beat. The only thing I'm listening to this, or, or the only reason I'm listening to this is for the message. And she'd always get mad at me for that. So <laughs> I always sarcastically <laughs> say that to my mother. She doesn't like that, but, That's but awesome. yeah, I appreciate that kind of music too. And like you said, a lot of times you don't know what 
what they're saying until you actually sit down and listen to it. But hey, it's got a good beat. So um, let's talk a little bit about your fishing career. Uh, I know uh, in one of your videos, you were talking about uh, even having your own line of fishing lures. Is that something you're still doing? And how did you get into creating your own fishing lure? So uh, the first part of your question, my fishing career um, in high school, we actually fished the Barnes County Wildlife uh, Walleye Tournament in Ashtabula. I fished that for two years. I think the I think there's they draw a little over 105, 110 boats, something like that. So it's pretty big in the state of North Dakota. That's a non-state um, professional tournament. It's a local tournament that's put on. It's one of the biggest draws there. And Ashtabula has traditionally, off and on, been some good walleye fishing and stuff like that, as you know. Um, entered that when I was 15, 14, something like that. We had to get special permission from my partner and partner's parents and my parents to even, you know, be in the tournament because we weren't 18. And so my dad had to go to the rules meeting at the crossing bar with us. And we, we sat through that and did that. And first year we took third place, walked over a thousand dollars, uh, for both of us or whatever. And then the next year, I think we got in the top 30 or something like that. And then just kind of fell out of it. But that's when I started. And then in 2016, I graduated from Valley city state. And I was like, I want to, I want to bass fish. Like I want to make, I've always told my grandpa that I want to be a professional fisherman. And he took it literally and was like, well, why don't you go ahead and do it? Like, why don't you do it? And then there's a clubs and there's two clubs in the state of North Dakota. So I started fishing the club tournaments in 2016, fish those this, uh, 16 season, 17 season, 2018 season. And then after that, I um, kind of, you know, there's some things that happen at the local level that you just kind of get over. And there was no, for me, going from playing high school sports, college sports, stuff like that, there was no place to grow. Like you made your championship and then there was nothing else. Like there's no, right. nothing beyond the championship. Yep. You win more money at the championship, but there's no next level. There's no national stuff like that. So I took the year off of 2019. I wasn't going to fish any tournaments, was going to focus on my cl window cleaning business and found out there's a Bassmaster open on in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is probably seven hours from where I was at in Minnesota. I said, well, shoot, I'll, I've never fished an open. I never knew they even came that close. I got into the late entry, actually got in the thing, went over there, fished for two days out of the three days because you got to make the top 12 to finish the second day. Actually, it was one one or two fish away, something like that, for qualifying. I think I got 22nd place out of a 200 boat or 200 co-angler field. And then just seeing the stage, the crowds aren't giant, but seeing the crowds, walk across the stage, hear your name, um, where you're from, Tower City, North Dakota, and walk across the stage. I was like, yeah, this is this is it. Like, this is where this is what I want to do. Signed up for the Opens last year, Fisher Central, three out of the four Central Opens last year, and then I'm signed up to do the Central Opens for the 2021 season again. Tell us what goes into being a professional fisherman because it's not just, hey, let's get a rod and reel, let's enter this tournament. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes in behind the scenes that – a lot of my listeners and myself included have no idea about uh, what some of the toughest challenges as far as do you scout or what kind of preparation do you do for a tournament? Well, I don't know how, what it takes to be a professional fisherman. I'm not there yet. I'm close, trying to get close. there. You'll get I there I someday. You mean, but yep. I was just answering your yep. question like yep. that. I don't know what it takes, but we're trying. Yep. But yeah, it's the thing that, um, Dude, the amount of money that you got to put into these things, like I spend, it's $475 entry fee for a co-angler each tournament. It's $1,800 for a boater or a pro to enter each tournament. 
And that's just to get in the thing. That's not travel. That's not lodging all stuff. I spend probably on my sheet, maybe a little over a thousand dollars each tournament. Wow. So the biggest thing that, that you need to get on the professional side of thing is you need funding, you need sponsorships, right. you need, um, you know, most of the time when I have my, you know, most of the last year and then most of this year, um, most of the stuff's coming out of my own pocket. So we don't do certain, I don't do certain things. I don't maybe hunt as much as I'd like. I don't travel as much as I like to put money aside to where I can afford to do it. So that's why on my Jersey, my logo, my Preston outdoor logo is in what they call the tighter title sponsor spot because I'm paying for most of this stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it, there's a whole strategy behind that, but for advertising, but it comes down to a lot of money. Like it comes down to being able, because the, on the open side of things, you pay to play basically to where um, anybody can enter it as long as you've got the money to enter the tournament. Okay. To make it to the, to make it to the elites, the professional, professional guys, you have to fish through the whole season in the top four in points over the whole year. So basically your angler of the year, your MVP per se race, you have to finish in the top four in points. Then you get an invite to the elite series. So okay. You accept your invite and now you're in with the, with the big dogs, that kind of thing. There are some guys that stay on the opens level and they just fish there and they're called an opens pro. That's their, they can make money doing that. They don't have, they don't want to, or can't afford to go to the next level because it's even more expensive. And so they, they end up doing, doing that to answer your first part of your question. So it, it takes a lot of money, but you also got to catch them. I mean, yep. you can put money into it and be able to go there and you can be a flop every single time. And there's guys that do that. They've got a lot of financial backing and they go there and they don't catch them very well. Um, so to make it to the next level, you got to prove yourself over a long, a long season. So you mentioned there, you said you got to finish in the top what percent? So whatever, I mean, there's probably a 200 boat fields to so top four. Top four. And then uh, you said at that point, then you get an invite. Is there still mm -hmm. the potential if you, you finish the top four, let's say um, you have all the criteria, you don't get an invite. Is it, has that happened or is that uh, nope. you will you get will, invited? You will definitely get an invite. Okay. You'll get an invite. And there's three different divisions this year. There's a central division, a Southern division, a Northern division. Okay. They're pulling the top four from each division. Okay. So there should be 12 guys, but you, it's confusing where a guy can fish all three divisions and then they have that separate division, a fourth division. So last year there was two divisions. There was a central, I think there, yeah, there's a central and there was an, uh, Eastern division. So I think, yeah, there's three, I can't remember how many divisions they change it every year. That's why it's confusing, but there's a, so this year we'll go three, there's three divisions. And then there's a separate division. All this division of guys is one that's fishing all three of these divisions. So if you finish in the top four of here, yep, you get an invite. Okay. Or if you finish in the top three over here individually, okay, you get an invite. Okay. So you you no matter what, if you meet the criteria, you will be getting an invite to the elite series. Some guys do not accept it because they can't. I mean, they talk to their sponsors, say, "Hey, you know, I need this much money yep. to go do that," and they they can't make it work, so they decline it or they don't want to go. Um, that kind of thing, you have that option to decline it. But yeah, once you meet that criteria, you will be asked to to join it. And the Elite Series is on the bass side of things. There's also the um, old FLW side of things, or it's the MLF side, where they do the Toyota Series, which is basically the bass opens or equivalent. And then you get an invite to go. There's two different, three different leagues, per se. So let's say you decline the invite. You're just going to stay in the opens. 
and next year you decide, hey, you know what? Now I think my I could get my sponsors on board to jump up to the next level. Would you have to t- finish in the top four again? Or would you be able to just say, hey, last year I did this. Can I hop onto the professional side this year? Or w- wouldn't they allow that? Nope. You got to qualify. You got to go your way through it. And then hopefully you finish fish well and finish well in the top four. So when you're watching so professional, you that- yep. When you're watching professional fishing, it is the elite fishermen around the world. I mean, that is the top is. of the top There's guys from Japan there's guys from Vietnam. There's guys from where's the other, uh, Australia that fishes the elite series. Um, South Africa guys. I actually talked to a guy that's fishing the opens. He's here from South Africa on a work visa and he's here during the summer to fish and try and qualify for the elites. So, so it's, like, a- it's literally, it's the, any sort of whatever league there is, the big two leagues in the United States, that yep. is the best of the best in the world that can financially make the means to do it. Like there's probably some guys at the local level that fishes club tournaments or guys at the regional level that fishes, say the opens that are probably better fishermen than some of the guys that are pros, not very many, but they didn't have the time to give up for it, the want to, or the financial backing to make it up. So per se, yes, the, the guys that are fishing on TV, the guys that are that are the top of the top bass fishermen in the world. Well, that sounds cool. It sounds like you've met some of these guys uh, or some of the guys that have went on, and it sounds like you've done some good networking. When you're talking to these guys, are they pretty open about giving advice or are they pretty uh, guarded when it comes to that as far as fishing goes? Yeah, it depends on the individual. Like as a co-angler, I have a unique situation, which I take full advantage of, is during the tournament, it's three days. Uh, the full field fishes the two. So it's usually a Thursday, Friday, you fish the, the two days, and then you have to be in the top 12 as a co-angler and the top 12 as a pro to qualify to fish for championship Saturday. So I am fishing in the back of a pro's boat. Okay. I'm doing. So we get drawn. It's like a Wednesday night meeting this year. We did YouTube live videos. You watch the video and then at like six, seven o'clock on Wednesday night, you get a text message on your phone, say, this is your boat number. This is your boater. This is when you have to be in, and then this is your boater's number. And so you call them up, talk to them, where you're going to meet. I mean, get all the details, stuff like that. You go out and fish together, and then you're basically in the boat with a guy for eight hours to, I mean, talk fishing. And I take the most advantage, depending on the individual, though. I've been with some guys that really don't want to talk, like okay. pretty guarded and stuff. Yep. But I've also been with guys that are fully open. I ask all kinds of things. And for me, I do maybe do it a little different than some of the co-anglers. I don't ask too many fishing questions, okay? techniques, yep. baits, stuff like that. I mean, that's all stuff that you it's really good to have and learn from those guys. But I take those eight hours and a very, very precious eight hours to where I'm asking business questions. How did you work this with this sponsor? How did you do that? Because, I mean, I can always be a better fisherman on the water and YouTube different techniques and get confidence, all that stuff. But the one thing that's kind of a hidden secret in the fishing industry is the business side of things, how to approach a company, how much to ask for, what is your self-worth to that company, stuff like that. And I have learned way more in the last two years doing these tournaments, just business side of things. And I think that's slowly, maybe hopefully in the next year or two or longer, those that information that I've gathered is hopefully going to make it to where hopefully... I mean, I'll hopefully in the next five years, I'll be fishing on the opens uh, on the pro side with my own boat. But we'll, I mean, a lot of things got to happen for them, but trying to understand how they got there financially. Have you found that your 
a lot more marketable because you have a YouTube channel and your own podcast? Or don't you even mention that when you bring up uh, fishing to sponsors? No, you definitely do. I mean, that's why I, I try and tell people is that is that I don't have a lot of, I mean, per se, if, if you're going to compare it to a lot of the big YouTube channels, I think I just, I got like, I think it's like 1900 followers on, you, on YouTube there. Um, just cracked 5,000 on Instagram and the podcast is just starting. So, I mean, we're just getting, getting that going. But what I try and tell people is if you are following my page, you are helping me way more than you know, because literally you following you engaging, you liking, you commenting, all that stuff is literally data that I take on my resume or my proposals that I make to companies. I take and say, hey, I can reach this many people in a year. And as those my social medias keep going up, I mean, then I am way more marketable. There's a lot of people out there from a social media aspect that have tens, 20, 30,000 followers on you know combined social media, and they really can't catch fish. Yep. But on the business side of things, they are very marketable to company XYZ over here compared to me. Maybe I can catch fish better than they can, but can I promote their baits better? Probably right. not. So then they get the sponsorship, they get the product, they get the money kind of thing. So that's why I try and get the point across is like, if you're following me, you are doing me a huge favor, like bigger than what you know. So that's, and then, you know, just so on and so forth yeah. down so, the line. But so, yeah, it's definitely a tool. All the social medias that, I have are definitely a negotiating tool when I, when I go to talk to companies. So hopefully all of my listeners have taken a hint here. Uh, all of the 15 people that listen to this podcast go over and definitely sub to all your channels. So we'll, we'll in the show description and stuff, we'll have all the links to Ethan's content. But, uh, so is there anybody that's at the professional level? That's just totally old school. They have no Instagram, no YouTube, no Twitter, they're just there to fish. Do you know anybody that's like that? Or in this day and age, is that a thing of the past? It's definitely getting phased out. Um, a lot of the young guns that are going through the, even the opens to grow themselves. Um, one, it's a great tool for those guys because again, they're, they're sponsors that they're going to be talking about. They are now getting them in front of video and video is just king. So a lot of these guys have YouTube channels now. A lot of guys pay cameramen to edit their YouTube videos. So a lot of that, I mean, they've got extra money that they can put into their contracts for whatever company and then pay a camera guy that will film. He'll edit it, all that stuff. And it helps grow them. It's even more marketable. There are probably, I don't even know, maybe, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some really old school guys that fish on the, like maybe Tommy Biffle. He's okay. a really old school guy. Maybe Rick Klon. I mean, just some guys that are around in the seventies, around the eighties, they've been fishing professionally for over 30, 40 years. And they really don't need, uh, I think of another guy that fishes the uh, opens, Alan Nail, a guy I got to know pretty well out of Oklahoma. He straight up told me, he's like, I don't do social media. <laughs> like I don't, he goes, I have, he has too great of a resume and all those guys have too great of a resume that they don't know in social media media because most people know who they are. And, you know, they said, I don't have time to learn it. And that's, I mean, great for them. I wish I, I wish right. I was in that position as, <laughs> as they are, but yet there are still some people that are still kicking butt, taking names, still fishing professionally or on the high regional level and are, don't have to get involved with it. So with all of your time tied up in this fishing, how do you have time for the hunting videos and the, you know, other interests? Well, realistically, there is no interest besides hanging out with my wife and my family we got two dogs, um, besides hunting and fishing, that's, that's what I, I mean, I don't know how to say it, but that's what I do. That's who I am. 
Um, when it comes to hunting, luckily the um, tournaments for the most part are pretty much wrapped up or I've got time in between. Um, last year with the pandemic, we had to move, they moved two opens. One was in supposed to be in March and April and one in June. Well, the one in June was the first one. They moved them to October, November. So I was not home very much in October or November. It was gone for two weeks for each. Um, but yeah, there's times in between we did, we did some duck hunting. I did a lot of pheasant hunting. Um, my wife and I were able to, um, get both of our deer for a gun season. I never did get a deer for my bow season this year, but, um, that's a lot of after work weekends, sneak out here, sneak out there. I mean, it's, it's a lot of that stuff, but, um, that's why I really hang. I've had people come and tell me that I should get rid of the outdoor side of things on all my social media, because, you know, I'm trying to be a professional fisherman. Um, but that I can't do that because then I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be able to post any of my, you could, but you wouldn't really be able to market all your other hobbies or the hunting side of things. Yep. And so, yeah, we, we find time to do it. Um, I like to fish way more than I like to hunt, but when it comes hunting season, I'm ready to hunt kind of thing. So it's like, Hey, we just try and find time to do it. So it sounds like in between all this stuff and for the hunting and the fishing, you must travel the country quite a bit. I mean, these span from North Dakota. I know you've been in Texas. Is there any other places where these tournaments are happening? Depends on what vis- uh, division you're fishing in the northern tournaments. There's some in North Carolina. There's two or three in uh, New York. The southern division is Alabama, I think, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida. As I think from this year, if I remember right, um, my the central division I'm doing this year will be in Alabama, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. So I think on the 24th of March, I'm actually taking off to, I usually spend about a little over a week at each place. I'll take off on like a Thursday or Friday of the week before the tournament, depending on how far, I think it's 19 and a half hours. I'm going to Jasper, Alabama to fish Lewis Smith Lake on the first, first stop of the central opens this year. So it's about 19 and a half, 20 hours to get down there. Um, so I'll take off on a Thursday or Friday. I'll get, hopefully get down there Saturday. I'll pre-fish with some guys from Minnesota that I got to know on like Sunday, Monday, um, Tuesday. Then Wednesday is a half day. We can only practice till noon. And so I usually I don't go out that day. I'll get all my cameras charged. I'll get as much video off as I can. And if there's a video I need to try and stay with my Thursday uploads, I'll try and get a video done on Wednesday get all my tackle prepped, all ready to go, get a hold of the boater later that evening and figure that out and then fish, hopefully fish on Saturday. I haven't, I haven't made a top 12 cut yet, but um, then you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday tournament. If I don't make the top 12 cut, then on Saturday morning early, I try and take off and get home, hopefully Sunday sometime. So, and then, I mean, April, I'll be home for 12 days because there's two tournaments in April and I'm doing some other traveling with pond hopper nation, which is another company I, I do do some work for. And so I'll be home for 12 days in April. And then before you know, it, it'll be May 1st and then May, June, July, August, September, I have nothing unless I fish some local tournaments and then October is Oklahoma. So, so far it's been, um, I'll be going to Alabama twice. This will be my first time going to Tennessee uh, was in Texas last year, and this will be my second time going to Oklahoma to fish these tournaments. So yeah, they're kind of all over the place. That sounds amazing. So if there's no tournament going on, where's Ethan's favorite place to go fishing? Well, I live on Lake Ida, which is in Minnesota, which is around Detroit Lakes area. So I fish that quite a bit, but I don't really post much on there because it's it's not a, 
I don't know, you can catch fish, but there are no giants in there and stuff like that. Okay. But I run my own window cleaning business. I started that in 2017, which allows me to, you know, make some income and, but really allows me to take off on my own schedule whenever I need to do that. And so I fish the Detroit lakes area a lot go down to Pelican Rapids, um, stuff like that. There's, I mean, I don't know how many, if there's over 2000 lakes in Becker County, basically, um, or close to it, something like that. So there's a lot of tiny, basically any place that I can dump the boat in around there. I like to fish over in that area. I'm do some fishing here on the Eastern side of the state of North Dakota, but for the most part, since I'm working over there, I'll be, I'll be fishing over in that Detroit lakes area. And it just seems like the lakes over there, the water clarity is usually awesome. And it just seems like a fun place to be in the summer. So I, I agree with you there. Have you ever fished uh, Cass Lake or uh, Big Wolf Lake? I fished Cass Lake some. My buddy, his grandma actually had a cabin on there. So we stayed on the north end of Fox Lake. It goes, it's really close to the mouth of that river on the north side. I don't remember the name, but you know what I'm talking about, um, like where Pike Hole is and stuff. Um on Cass Lake. Yes. I'm, I'm not too familiar with Cass Lake. Uh, we stay at, uh, Big Wolf Lake, which goes into Lake Andrusia, which goes into Cass Lake. So I'm not too familiar with that, but, uh, seems like a fun place to go every year. Actually, that's where this, uh, resort is that the sweatshirt I'm wearing today. But, uh, yeah, if you have a chance to get up there, you should check out this resort. It's an awesome place to go. Um, Seems like the fishing is good. It seems like a lot of the guys up there fishing are fishing for musky, though. And I don't know if you do any musky fishing. Uh, have you done that in the past? And uh, is that something you'd get into in the future? I mean, some one of my friends that does a lot of musky fishing told me, uh, don't ever do musky fishing because that ruins all the rest of fishing once you catch a musky. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? So the, the, the north side of Cass Lake is there's some river that runs, I don't know what it's called, but the river that runs into there, he is literally just down the road from there. So okay. we fish Buck Lake a lot, which is on the western side. Okay. We put my, I've taken my boat there and we've ran down to Buck Lake and we've we've done some bass fishing there. And I actually hooked into, I ended up snagging it, but it was a, over a 50 inch muskie. Oh, wow. In less than a foot of water. Less than a foot of water is up there. I threw everything I had at it and then I swam a chatterbait next to it. And I think he turned to leave and it was close enough so i set the hook and we played for him with a while and then he ended up getting off but i've seen i've seen the videos up there at cast lake giant musky fishery um stuff like that but most of the time what we did was was bass fishing and so i've, I've had a chance to fish there we did some nighttime walleye fishing also when we were out there caught quite a few walleyes and stuff like that but the the musky game man i've done it i've went out and targeted my wife's cousin loves to fish for muskies and giant pike i went out there with him and, and used some of the, you know the big top waters the big spoons or the big spinners and inline spinners stuff like that um i've i've done it um i understand that you can just you can really get addicted to it and that stuff is expensive yeah i but it's basically it's like the same thing it's like once you hook one of those fish like your friend was probably saying it's it's going to change everything yep but i don't know i i got so much money wrapped up in bass fishing that it'd right. be tough to get into the musky fishing, but I, I really enjoy the bass fishing side of things because I can fish really nasty, heavy cover. Um, I think that's what I enjoyed the most where musky fishing. I, I mean, I don't know of anybody that's punching a one ounce weight, trying to catch a 50 inch musky. Right. Yep. So I really, and I'll be 
different than a lot of people. I'd rather catch a large mouth than a small mouth, which is very, very uncommon for people to say, unless you're from the South, mm-hmm. um, since we're up North and we have both, but I can use an eight foot heavy flipping stick with 65 pound braid, a one ounce weight, and I can go catch a five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 pound large mouth in, you know, less than two feet of water in the nasty thickest stuff that kids are kicking and screaming about. Cause they don't want to get leeches in yep. there. You know, and there's just a giant fish in this much water that that's, that's what does it for me. And so I don't think I'd ever get into it. It's something I've done. I mean, I've caught, I've caught a, I caught a muskie on Ashtabula last year. It was 35 inches. Oh, wow. Nice. Bait. I mean, just bass fishing. And yep. so you, you can catch them doing that. And I've caught a few, nothing over 40. I think the two or three that I've caught have been 35, 36 inches, but See, for me, when I walk I into a tackle store and I see that oh, a, one lure is $50, that was enough for me. I, 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 get, <laughs> uh, um, I get the biggest kick out of catching a bass on a topwater lure. To me, that is the coolest thing in, in fishing. But uh, I'm just a casual fisherman. So uh, <laughs> but do, you, do, you top, or do you use topwater much in competition? Or is that something that's... Uh, a thing of the past too, or it depends on where you're at. Actually, okay. A lot of times what I, I take into like these consider these tournaments is like techniques. I'm not good at techniques. I will never, I don't throw much, but then all of a sudden the guy in the front is just kicking your butt on them. You're like, well, it must work. You get <laughs> right. some confidence. And this year for me, I try and keep a journal on every, every tournament I um, fished, what I thought I did, right. What I, you know, blah, 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 look back 2020 vision. I mean, what went on, blah, blah, blah. What I learned is a big section of the journal. And what I learned this year was the power of buzz bait. Um, okay. Don't have many buzz baits. Haven't thrown a buzz bait much in the fall and actually, or in the anytime fishing, we were down in Oklahoma on the Arkansas river and the guy I was practicing with threw a buzz bait a lot. And I had some old junky rusted hook one. And I started just plopping that thing around. Cause he'd have caught a couple of fish on it. I caught two or three, like one pound fish. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Got paired up with the guy that is notorious Sean Goodwin for throwing a buzz bait in Oklahoma. First fish he caught that day was four pounds. Oh man. And he, in less than two feet of water behind a rock. And he threw that thing like six, seven, eight, ten 10 times by that thing, pop, 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 going right by and just finally got one. And he threw the buzz bait. He had a white one. And he had a black one. He threw it all day long. So a lot of the fish that he caught were on a buzz bait, just come up and smoke it, come up and just slurp it under. And I was like, I had to borrow from Dennis Feidler, the guy that I practiced with. He actually had a buzz. I was like, can I, do you have a buzz bait that I can buy from you? Yep. He goes, no, I just have this one. He gave me some old one. I brought that sucker back to Minnesota, North Dakota. And I threw, I put that on a rod and I'd go out buzz bait fishing just with that rod on my deck to get confidence in. And I broke the freaking wire on it. I caught so many fish. on. Holy cow. Yeah. I had to go out. I had to go out and buy some. So there is, there is that top water fishery all across the country that there is exact times for it. And guys win tournaments on it all the time. You know what? I own one buzz bait. I love the way it sounds. I have never caught a fish with it, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I'm obviously fishing in the wrong spot or I'm doing something wrong. But this past year I uh, bought my first whopper plopper and I thought this is the most satisfying top water I've ever thrown and had a lot of hits and misses, but, uh, haven't caught a fish with it yet, but, uh, um, obviously doing something wrong. <laughs> I have two whopper ploppers. I bought them down in Louisville, Texas. When I was down there for that last tournament, I have never, owned, actually I take that back. I got my first one probably in 2000, 
16. I got a mystery tackle box, one month subscription. I got a whopper plopper on there. Yep. I threw it four times, had a bass blow up on it, line broke. I've never caught a fish on it. I bought two of them. I was like, I can get the Berkeley Chapo, which is the same thing, but cheaper. Yep. But there's a guy that I that I talked to or somebody I talked to that caught a 10 pounder in less than two feet of water on the whopper plopper in practice. And I went, okay, if I can get, you know, it's, and we're in Texas, Louisville's a giant fish lake, but there's not many, I don't think there's a great population of fish in there. And I was like, if I just need one big bite. And on the second day it came down to, if I would have caught three 14 inches, I would have made the cut. Like I was that close. Oh, wow. So I thought towards the end of the day, I just threw the whopper plopper. I'm like, if I get one five pounder, I'm in. If I get one three pounder, I'm in and just chuck it. I have never caught a fish on it. Oh. I've never had a blow up on it, but that's a bait that I'm going to throw more this year just to get confidence. I definitely it. am too. Cause I just got it at the tail end of last year. And I thought that actually the reason I got it is I was watching a video, uh, indie yak angler and he just destroys fish with that thing. So I thought, oh, you yeah. know what, I'm going to test this out. I also got the spider that he used, you know, the, it kind of walks on top of the water. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try that out a little bit more this year. Hopefully I can get the hang of it, but, uh, we'll see. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to throw, even if I'm not catching anything. So it's, it's one of those things that where I go out, I mean, I get complacent sometimes, especially in the summer and I live on the lake. So I have a chance to, and I live within 20 minutes of a hundred lakes. So like I have a chance <laughs> to go out after work and fish and there's days that I just, I'll pick up a top water rod and I said, that's what I want to catch them on today. And I've got a chance to go, to go and do that and then there's other days where I'm like i just want to catch fish or you know i can play around with my things a little bit more and i actually got a buddy when i went to arizona a month ago a buddy actually gave me one of the black spiders that he had to oh, try nice. out up here um so i'm gonna play around with that try that i mean it'll make great for social media content it I will i'll use it in a tournament yep. for videos, <laughs> right. yep. it'll, i'll be able to use this big camera i got back here and i plan on the tripod and have somebody film me and just film every time i bring a lure in i'm going to try and get some top water eats on film this year but then also the pictures taken with the spider coming out of the mouth are super cool and stuff like that but i mean those that i don't know if i'll use a spider in a tournament i'll use, probably use something else but it's it's one of those things where yeah i mean you get in the right spot they're not going to hesitate you know what uh one of the coolest lures i have it it's called a measle weasel and it was a guy it was a youtuber he created his own topwater lures i don't even think he's on youtube anymore but uh sometime when i see you in person i'm gonna have to show you that thing because you'd get a kick out of it too it's eyes glow uh, no matter how you throw it it lands uh it's it's weighted in the right direction so it always lands laying down it's got a little tail it's got the hook coming out of the top so it's weedless and I have actually caught some huge largemouth bass with that lure, and uh, you'll have to see it sometime. It's it's a hard resin plastic, so there's no way anything could happen to it. But uh, I actually don't throw it too much anymore because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. But uh, and I, I don't well, know if I can get another one. The name called the Measle Weasel. That's a fish catcher name right there. Yep, for sure. that's right. I actually like the guy's channel because. Uh, Every lure he made, he made a video on his YouTube channel about that lure. So it was kind of cool uh, to see your lure being made and shipped off. So uh, I, huh. I know you're into tackle too. Uh, I touched on that a little bit earlier, but uh, we didn't get into it. Uh, talk about your business and making lures and how that came about. So I probably, man, I've wanted to make my own bass jigs for years, just from the price, like, you talk to a lot of people I fish with 
and you get to know me more like i am cheap like if i got a plastic worm and i get bit i'm biting the head off and i'm using it until i feel like that thing won't work anymore drive people nuts i'll use the same for besides tournament competition but when i'm fun fishing and i'll use the same hook like 10 12 all year long if i've got if the hook's kind of sharp i'll still use it you know fun fishing tournament fishing i've got i'm struggling with to get more and more like i bought the berkeley whopper plopper or the excuse me the river to sea whopper plopper more expensive yep. i catch a fish on a bait and it's all ripped up part of me in the tournament's like oh, i should just put that back on okay (laughs) we'll get a new bait like that i'm struggling with that because you know growing up saving your pennies to try and get all this stuff and you just want to use it and my dad was always biting the head off the worm or something like that or plastic keep using it and so i've always wanted to make my bass own bass jigs but there was more getting into it so i actually bought it was like a bass bait buy and barter that is a dangerous group to be on (laughs) because it's like an ebay for people making lures like people oh boy i set myself at a ten dollar limit with shipping and i you bid on there one dollar increments on the comments and somebody makes these cool plastics and you bid on it and this guy was selling his plastic making stuff for like 230 bucks he just he makes jigs he didn't use the plastic so i bought it instantly bought it got this thing showed up i got a couple molds i got an old microwave i had in college and i started making my own plastics and just use it as jig trailers because i use a jig a lot and bluegill bite the pincher off and do this and then you got to throw it away well i started throwing them in a tubware thing and at the end of the in the spring right around this time i'll put them in the microwave cut them up with scissors melt them down and i'll pour new ones so i can actually save and i think within the first year and a half i probably poured over 300 dollars worth of plastics myself so i saved my it paid for itself within a year and then probably three four years ago i was like okay it's time to make jigs which is adding lead to the element which can be more dangerous right more you know gear and stuff like that so i started making my own bass jigs pretty much only throw over the stuff that i make and then when it came to the plastic side of things i actually don't make the plastics the um, preston outdoors signature series plastics it's a collaboration um with pond hopper nation okay we came together and and came um albert together that runs pond hopper nation had the idea of marketing um my signature series plastics so we've got um two 10 inch worms and a green pumpkin red flake and then a it's a laminate meaning two colors. There's June bug and green pumpkin and the worm. And they've got that also with the same colors in the four inch creature bait, which is green pumpkin. And then the June bug, green pumpkin laminate. And then there's an orange swirl, which is like a green and orange swirled together. And then I have a Cinco, which is green pumpkin, red flake, and then black and blue. So basically I have thrown that, that style Cinco and that style plastic um, creature bait. Like since I, was probably 10 years old like it's a stationary standard mold but i pick three different um molds and those two or three different colors for each one colors that i i mean i was using colors of that that stuff anyway and so we figured we'd have um marketing stuff like that and it was a cool collaboration um every five packages that we sold a child gets a rod reel and a t-shirt sponsored for their teacher child to fish days so it's kind of a collaboration with that um limited collaboration i don't know if we're going to be able to reorder again this year it was kind of a limited base or whatever so all the stuff that's been selling on the website and i've got a box and a half sitting behind me i think i got 160 some packages behind me that i you know i sell and advertise a little bit but um we'll see we'll see if it keeps going or not it's uh it's not cheap to get into that thing when you're collabing with somebody else and having somebody make them um stuff like that 
but we with COVID and stuff, we didn't really get to start selling them till August last year. And yep. up here in the north, we are so seasonally changing and stuff like that. So it was, we'll see how it goes this summer. And if it's real successful this summer, we might get back into it. But it, like I said, it was even the contract and what we talked about. It was just a limited run to to grow awareness for myself and and the teach child fish days for pond opportunity. Awesome. So are they still available for sale? Yep. There's whatever's available on the site, um, pondhoppernation.com. You can go ahead and check them out there. Whatever the guys, uh, they, the pond hopper nation is based out of Texas. Okay. I can't remember what town in Texas. So whatever they have on the site, um, you can go ahead and purchase there. And like I said, every five packages gets a, a child, a rod and reel and t-shirt for these events. And then if they're not on the site, I've got, like I said, I've got over 160 packs. So if somebody wants to send me a message on Instagram or something like that, I can get you some baits. Awesome. Um, we'll we'll definitely, we'll have those links we'll in the show there. notes here. Hopefully uh, people can reach out and find you on Instagram. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, so it's, it's a great cause. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to take up all your time on it, but basically people um, show up in the communities wherever they're going to have an event. Um, and people show up to fish. I worked one in diamond city, Arkansas, 2017 show up. We rigged all the push button and spinning rods for the kids and had dozens and dozens of night crawlers and bobbers. And they came with their families and basically getting kids started into fishing, in, you know, in a less stressful environment to hopefully they lean on that. Say like you do. And I do instead of getting into trouble and stuff like that. So That's awesome. They have events. So yeah, they have events all across the country. And it, like I said, it was a collaboration to grow my brand, but also grow Pond Hopper Nation. Well, it sounds like a great situation to me. I mean, any chance you can get to give back to the community while growing your brand and business, I think it's a win-win for everybody. Well, yeah, exactly. before I let you go, I always have a little lightning round with my guests. Uh, just quick Let's hitting questions. Here we go. This first one's actually from my wife. She said, ask, ask Ethan this one. And you better right. answer answer uh, correctly here. Would you rather have correctly? Yes. Would you rather have Preston as a last name or a first name? <laughs> rather have his last name. All right, there you go. If, <laughs> I, I wrong, didn't know. Wrong this, answer. I didn't know Preston. <laughs> I know. That's why I figured that was the wrong answer. But I didn't know Preston was a common first name until I got to college. Really? Yep. Like I didn't. Everybody call you Preston or you say, just say your last name and yep. I suppose no big deal. And then yep. when you get to college, somebody would say that and you didn't even think twice of it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I didn't know your name was Ethan. And I went, <laughs> what do you mean? They're like, oh, that's a common first name. And I was like, you got to be too. And then the more people I met get to meet you, Preston Meyer. I mean, everybody else, there's yep. like a bunch of other people that I end up playing football with that had their name. Pre I was like, yep. uh, you guys are just a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> yep. See, and now from my perspective, it's only a first name. So <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. on to the next one here. If you could be sponsored by any company, who would it be? Oh, God. I have to be well, one. I let's can't say excluding the sponsors you have now. So you're not hurting anyone's feelings. No, I'm actually pretty, I'd stay with the ones I had now, even if okay. I had to choose, but yep. it, it, it would come down to, to me, it'd come down to Skeeter boats and uh hummingbird electronics. Those, are, I okay. don't know which one I go to because I mean, you need a boat and you need electronics. So I'm stuck in between the two. So those would be the two that hopefully someday, you know, in the near future, I can get on and, and be able to, to promote them and partner with them. Those are the, my two first two that come to my mind. Awesome. All right. I think I might know the answer to this one. We might have the same answer for this. Would you rather get your YouTube channel hacked or attend Jamestown College? Wow. 
that is <laughs> i are your viewers uh versed on the rivalry between jamestown and valley city state uh not too well fill them in a little bit <laughs> so uh i don't even know the years that it started but the rivalry between valley city state and jamestown college is probably one of the longest running rivalries in the united states and it actually turned into kind of quite the debacle back at i don't even early years I don't know if it's in the fifties, sixties, whenever they had it, they were playing, they did an annual football game, but some students would go over to one college and they'd vandalize something over there and students would go back and forth, back and forth. I mean, there was dorms that are getting painted cars, blah, blah, blah. It had something to do with paint. So they developed a trophy called the traveling trophy is called the paint bucket. And so that way we had something to fight for on each side of it, instead of just vandalizing each side. Um, so severe rivals, I really didn't know about it. I mean, you hear about it coming from tower city, which is 20, I live 20 miles away from Valley city, but you really didn't hear about it. Got to college. Um, I don't know if I touched on it, but I played college football, Valley city state for four years. And it's one of those things you really didn't know about until you show up and the seniors and the upperclassmen on Jimmy week, he called it is like the intensity was high. Then you get in a game and some guy starts talking about your mom. He starts calling all his <laughs> yep. and you're like, I don't even know you dude, but I'm wearing the different color Jersey. And then, you know, as I got older and got to play more and got to start compete against them, it's just one of those things that you just hate those guys. Um, fortunate, fortunately, when I was starting, we never lost to them. So the paint bucket stayed home with us four times, but if you had asked me probably a few years ago, but I did get recruited to play with Jamestown. Oh, I yeah. Went on a, I, went, <laughs> I went on a visit. I did it all, but they didn't have the major I wanted. Oh, there you go. Yep. If you would ask me now, I'd probably attend Jamestown College just for okay. the fact that my YouTube cha- I need my YouTube channel. Yep, right. Yep. Um, but if you would ask me two years ago, no, there's you can take my YouTube channel. No, it's all in good fun. It's a it's a great rivalry. Uh for those of you who don't know, it's uh, when you go to the games, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, anything, there's always 10 times the amount of fans when um, there's a Jamestown Valley City State game. So it's always a lot of fun, and uh, it, it seems like it's a great rivalry. It seems like uh, in the past they've moved conferences now, so it's uh, kind of shifting a little bit, but the rivalry is still there. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, both colleges definitely need each other to uh, – have this great rivalry a lot of fun yeah it's it's definitely a lot of fun like you said standing room only in the gym right on uh, either in jamestown or in in valley when we did it i mean that's the only time there when i was playing and we both had really good teams um lock and stadium there was standing room only in the end zones both sides were full i mean there's 100 people on each side of the end zone so if you made a good play or on either side or somebody scored a touchdown like you're in amongst the fans and it's one of those things that at our small time colleges, it's not really seen when we go play, especially in the NAIA or um, smaller schools like that. So yeah, definitely both, both schools need to keep that thing going. And, and Absolutely. the atmosphere, it just the Monday, Sunday, after you do your meetings, you start preparing for each other. It's it, you can't explain it. Cause I didn't know about it until I was, was there and partaking in it. The other cool side of it is everyone in town, Jamestown Valley city a week before the game. That's all anyone's talking about. It's, it's just, uh, experience like no other. So it's kind of like when I went to Maple Valley, I went to Maple Valley high school and it's like kind of the same thing as the Barnes County tournament for us. Yep. You could, you could not do good in your region or district tournament, but if you played well and won the Barnes County tournament, 
you're good to go. Right. It's like you can have the crappiest season at Valley City State, but if you beat Jamestown, you could chalk that up to a, a winning year. Yep. And it's of the alumni coming back. They'll tell you the same thing. Yep. You know, we'd have guys that played before All-Americans, but ever come back to the locker room or just be around the program, and they say, it, you don't lose to the Jimmies. Like, you just don't right. do it. And I assume they did the same thing. So it's it's like you said, is you could do have a horrible year, but as long as you beat them or same thing for them, if they beat us, that your year set you on to next year kind of thing. Yep. And it's uh... – when it's the opposite, it's just like, oh, you kind of feel sick all year knowing that uh, they've got the paint bucket. Uh, this isn't our year, but uh, we'll get them next year. So hopefully in the future, hopefully we can keep this going because it is a good thing. Uh, great for both communities. All right, on to the next question. Favorite piece of technology used in the past year? 100% my phone. Okay. And um, what, what phone do you I have? I getting... I got an iPhone 11. Uh, when I got that, the 12 wasn't out. Um, I'm cheap and didn't get the three camera one, but I had an iPhone 7. Phone was paid off. Like I was just making the payments on it, sticking with it. And um, I think I got it wet or got a new one or it was cheap to upgrade to a new 11 or something like that. So I went in and I asked the guy, I said, my main question is what's the camera quality like? I mean, I don't care about the processor. Yep. I said camera and storage because I, I pay 99 cents a month for um, – the iCloud storage and I maxed out. Like I, I have over 5,000 photos on my phone. I've got over 3000 videos on my phone. Like I, like I said, when we talked about earlier about my mom taking pictures, yep. I take it to the next level and, and one, because I have to, because of social media, like I went fishing for four hours on Saturday. Now I have to take those four hours and pictures that I've taken there or other pictures in the past. I've got to make it last seven days. Cause I post every single day on Instagram. I've got a and Facebook, so I've got to make it last. So I take a ton of pictures. And then when my wife comes fishing with me or whatever, I just tell her, just take pictures. They take cool pictures of me or whatever, and we'll, we'll go from there. So I would say my phone, when the guy told me that um, it would hands down blow my iPhone 7 out of the water, I mean, I thought it was a sales pitch yep. um, until I got to play with the portrait mode and I got to play with just the way the lens sucks in the natural light. And you don't it's have unbelievable. on anything. It's it's crazy. So that, I mean, I wish I could get a GoPro to film like what your camera takes a video of. And right. I know a lot of people film on their phones, um, but I can't, I am always <laughs> on my phone. So I can't occupy having my phone do the filming and me not doing something with it. Um, so short, long answer to your short question, my phone, hundred percent. There you go. It sounds like you're going to have to have some uh, pretty extensive hard drive systems too, to back up all of this uh, content. Uh, so what I do normally is I upload all my pictures to Facebook. I put them in albums okay. 2021 and yep. I just upload them all there. Some of them I keep private. Some of them, I don't really care. They're public, whatever put up there. Um, so I have them because I've lost phones in the past. I mean, I just lost one down the ice hole this year. Uh -oh. I had did a video on and I was luckily I was able to get some photos back and stuff, but otherwise, um, all the clips and all the projects I do for YouTube, are all saved on an external hard drive so to get more memory off the computer. So, cause there's been some times in the past where, Oh, I want to get a clip from three years ago right. that I think of either to work with a company or to try and, you know, bring a memory back into a video, bring that memory to life instead of me just talking about it. I'll dust off the hard drive, go find that clip, bring it in, bring it back to life. And then, so I've done that. So I think I've got three or four external hard drives sitting in my desk here 
and working on my one for 2020 and 2021. And by the end of this year, it'll probably be full. See, I've run across a few YouTube channels that actually delete all of their videos once it's posted onto YouTube. And I think, oh, I could never do that. I've spent so much work getting the files and getting them all edited that I, I don't think I could ever just delete them. And I think well, like a hard drive crashing, that could be, I mean, that would be devastating. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I've had I've had one do it when I was in college. Oh. Our external hard drive crashed, and I likely my boy, my boy. I shouldn't say boy; he's a grown man. But Mike Nix at the e IT department, even though it was nothing uh, to do with the first time I ever really met Mike, nothing to do with my school computer. I emailed him, said, "Can you fix this?" Sure enough, he loves to hunt and fish too. So he went through and looked at all my videos, all the pictures as he's trying to save them. He's like, there's some good pictures you got on there. And I was like, what? I didn't know he liked to hunt and fish like that. I got to know him pretty well. Well, now. that's but cool. So yes, he was able to he recover able everything. To, he saved it. That wow. first hard drive I had, he saved everything on it. Oh, that's priceless. Um, I, oh, 100%. 100%. All right. Moving on. Uh, Apple or PC? I go Apple. What is it's your single favorite video on your YouTube channel? Oh, man. This is tough. Yeah. Single favorite video. Um, usually, I love these. I was going to tell you, I love rapid questions. I absolutely okay. love them. <laughs> if, if people, if, when people get me on a podcast, do you want to know what the topic is? I said, no. I just literally say the first thing that comes to my head. And I think it, it stresses me out way less just trying to get yep. off of what I popped in my head. So the first thing that popped in my head would probably be two years ago, my brother and I did a catfishing video on the Red River. That's oh. probably just from the amount of laughs and my brother and I just being who we are and capturing it on film. Amount of laughs, caught some big channel catfish for our first time there. And uh, I thought I did a pretty good job editing it. Um, for some reason, with the YouTube algorithm, it did not do very well and has not done very well, but 110%, it was, it's that video. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you put in so many hours, you think this is your best content and uh, doesn't really perform too well. And then, and then you put something together in 10 minutes and whoa, it's performing off the charts. So it's, <laughs> it, just, it, it's crazy how that all works. Yeah. All right. Your favorite movie. I guess it, I'm evading your questions. I feel like I'm a politician or something here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't, I guess I don't have a favorite movie. I have a favorite movie series and that'd be the star Wars series. Okay. So out you... of all those, out of all those ones, I would have to say the third one is my favorite. Okay. Do you like the Mandalorian then? Love the Mandalorian. Awesome. Yep. I'm just getting started on that and I'm enjoying it. Oh, uh, I've only seen a, a few episodes, but it's year. awesome. <laughs> it's my wife is not a star wars person when we were dating i made her watch the star wars movies with me and she'd fall asleep in everyone wow we started watching the mandalorian finds the story interesting and i'm like oh pause that this is so and so from that and blah 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 and she goes what and i'm like oh you just don't understand <laughs> so we watched the first season and then we went back and watched in chronological order how they were uploaded the star wars or how they were produced or whatever and she goes Oh, that's so and so from the Mandalorian. And then she fell, she oh, like, fell in love with okay. the story. So she fell in love with the story. And then season two came out, and not to ruin it for you or anybody else, but there's characters that pop up. Okay. And so she understood it as well. So finally, we have become a Star Wars family now. Before there you go. Like, These are stupid. Well, I'm going to have to yeah. do the same thing. I'm going to have to uh, check oh. out the Mandalorian, and then I'm going to have to go back and rewatch and see where the characters fit into the story. You know what a funny story is that? 
is your father-in-law is the one that got me started on Star Wars. I, I believe that. Uh, he is a huge, tapes, huge Star VHS Wars fan. tapes. When we would go over to, to hang out and, and play at their house a lot when we were kids and the parents were um, still really good friends, just don't get a chance to hang out as much anymore. Yep. And he'd say, Hey, do you want to watch these movies? And I'd go into the bedroom and I think Chelsea was there too, but she, she got bored and left. And I was just like glued to these things of these, the walkers and all that stuff. And I was yep. like, this is awesome. And so I think he let me borrow a couple of them on VHS and he literally is the one that well, got me started. There you go. I'm going to have to tell him he's going to have to listen to this episode because his name comes up. That's pretty good. 110%. That's he awesome. He's the reason that I got into it. Well, that is awesome. Well, if you could collaborate with anyone on YouTube, who would it be? <sighs> and this doesn't have to be in fishing. It can be in any niche uh, on YouTube. Is or there the any other niche on YouTube? <laughs> right. I don't know if there is. <laughs> um, God, I, I think one guy's videos that I hang on to every time he uploads um, would probably be Aaron Weave from Uncut Angling. Um, doesn't, I don't know if you watch him. Oh, or not. I do. I, uh, they're very interesting. It, it seems like uh, to me, it's just so out of the box for a fishing channel. Uh, the, some of the things he does, but, uh, yeah, it's, that channel's amazing. Yeah. For me, I mean, the guy that can upload, make it on YouTube and still have a giant following that doesn't fall off and his views are always there. And he only uploads one video every four months. Um, yeah. It's amazing. It's the fact. It's the fact that the videography he puts into the thought he puts into it and then the editing and style and stuff like, I mean, I've heard, he's probably a really goofy guy. I don't know if I get along with him or not, but <laughs> I think I would, but it just, just to get, just to spend time with him and not even to, to grow my brand, which a lot of people try and do collaborations with each right. other to grow each other's brand. But I just want to, I want to get inside his head and see what, how he thinks of these things, because naturally I'm not a very creative person. Like, uh, it just like artistic and stuff like that just never worked for me. My wife is great with imagining things. She draws up blueprints of all this stuff. And she's like, well, what do you think of this colored wall next to this <laughs> colored wall? And the house isn't even built. And I'm very visual. I'll tell you when you paint it and be done with it. I'm in the same so boat. I can't somebody, visualize stuff like that either. <laughs> oh, how somebody like Aaron Weeb on Uncut Angling can make an outline of video in his head and then produce it. And then as a, a somebody that's into fishing, you just going, I never thought of that, but then the display on video is, is so great. That's, that's the first one that pops in my mind. And on top of it, he is an amazing fisherman. <laughs> I oh, mean, it seems like he, that, every, that helps a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, it seems like he, every episode he's catching exactly what he's after. So, uh, makes yep. it very interesting. All right. Two more questions. Uh, biggest role model in life. I mean, without any question, I'd have to say my dad, um, putting up with my brother and I, a couple of knuckleheads, um, you know, having two sons, um, working umpteen hours. He works for a farming co-op. He's a commercial, um, chemical applicator. So he sprays and, and fertilizes spreads and stuff like that. I think he said he's on his 27th year at the wow. farm there, um, stuff like that. And be able to, um, as I'm married, and, you know, my wife and I maybe thinking about kids in a few years kind of thing. I just am scared to death and having the fact that he was able to do that and make enough money to where my mom was able to stay at home. I had to stay at home mom until I was probably a sophomore or junior in high school. So then she got a job. I was like, that's, that's unbelievable. The fact that he could grow, um, have a wife, a family, two kids, 
support us and then still have time to get my brother and I in the outdoors. And my brother prefers hunting more than fishing per se. I prefer, I would probably lean towards fishing a little bit more, but I do enough of both. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's typical. Everybody's typical answer. I would say their dad, but that now that I'm getting older, I'm married, um, maybe start a family in a few years that the finances and the logistics and stuff you look behind, you didn't appreciate when you were younger, when you said your dad was your role model, Yep. but that's, that's 110%. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing. It's just amazing what parents put into their kids. It's, it's awesome. (laughs) All right. Last question. This one's out of this world. Um, Love it. You're out in the ocean, deep sea fishing. You fall off the boat. You have a choice to be surrounded by great white sharks or killer whales. What are you going to be surrounded by? Great white sharks, 110%. Yep, I agree. That's that's the correct answer to that. I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was like, either you have an answer to this or yep. you want to know why my answer is. But nope. yeah, I definitely know you know uh, the answer to the, the right There question. is no way I'd want to be surrounded by killer whales. That's, uh, They're too smart. Yep, way too They're smart. too smart. That's, Most of the time you can swim from, I'm mean, like, I was a, um, you remember animal planet back in the day oh, when yeah, they had the yep. intro with the tiger walking through the woods <laughs> and stuff like that was my life. That and vet ER where they did vet, vet tech stuff. Yep. Vet was animals. I said, animal planet was in blue. When blue planet came out, that kind of thing. I mean, just a natural path for a fisheries and wildlife kid, but the videos you watch on there, the YouTube videos I've seen some of the, I mean, we had to do animal reports on in school all the time i'd done some on orcas or killer whales watched uh what is that blackfish is that the name oh, of the yep. documentary yep there is no way i would be around killer whales they are nope. way too smart they actually can critical think problems where sharks i mean sharks aren't stupid but you can swim with a killer with a great white and be fine as long as there's no blood in the water and they're not hungry yep i but think fact, no i would take my chances with the sharks that's for sure oh 100 <laughs> the whales would play with you and yep. not even want to eat you but yep. they would just play it would be yeah, it would be that's terrible creepy. that's that's one of my biggest fears <laughs> <laughs> so i thought i better ask someone who knows a little bit about fish too so <laughs> see if i'm on the same page <laughs> well so i got a question for you then all right I love I love the role reversal podcast where the guests ask the There we uh, go. I hope I'm ready so, for this. <laughs> nothing too big, but since I'm just getting started my podcast, what is your motivation to run yours? Like I can see mine and we've talked about it where, you know, I want to grow a following and I mean I can even go into deeper like literally this is my podcast is my outlet because there's a not from the fishing standpoint and the competitive standpoint of competitive fishing is there's not a lot of people around me that do it. My brother likes to hunt more. My buddies like to hunt more. And then the buddies that I have that like to fish more than hunting or are all fishing, they're in other states. Like there's nobody close to me that do it. So I need somebody to talk to about this stuff so I can vent and I can have an outlet about it. And on the other side, business side, grow my following. So that's why I have a podcast. Why does Preston have his podcast? Well, uh, interesting story. Uh, I've always been in sports my entire life. Uh, now, uh, I'm kind of winding down my career in sports. I still play amateur baseball and stuff, but I love the competitive side of things. Uh, one of the things I've always known that I'm not very good at is public speaking or talking to a camera. Uh, this is one of the reasons I have my YouTube channel. Uh, the, the, biggest reason I started it is because I want to get out of my comfort zone and I want to grow as an individual. I want to get better at public speaking. Um, and 
on top of that, I want to meet the cool people that I watch on YouTube. I've learned so much from them and it's been so fun to have some of them on my podcast and learn from the best. And, uh, uh, so I guess my motivation would be, I want to grow as an individual and, uh, have some fun learning on the way. And hopefully I can give value to other people that, um, uh, maybe are looking into doing, um, some content creation. And that's definitely when you told me, I, when I was getting, I get so stuck in my rabbit hole of like, I come home, I hang out with my wife for like an hour. I come up to this office and I stay up here till I think I went to bed at one 30 last night, because that's what it, like you were talking about earlier. That's the grind that needs to take. And then some people are, you're stupid. You're crazy for taking on a podcast, upload every day on social media, YouTube once a week, now a podcast episode to do, but it's, it's one of those things like you were saying is you, you can never put out enough content. If you listen to Gary V, you can never put out enough content. You need to keep putting out more and get out of your comfort zone. But the fact that you go ahead and I mean, it's pretty cool that you identified as something that you are not good at and that you will purposely put yourself in those situations to struggle at some point to get overcome that where most people would say, I'm not good at public speaking. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to do this. And, and you just, you just stop doing it. So I think it's pretty cool that your motivation behind it is putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Yep. And, uh, to be honest with you, uh, all of the podcasts I've done, I'm getting a little bit better, but I'm very uncomfortable throughout each and every single one of them getting, getting better, but, uh, I'm slowly learning. So it's working. <laughs> like I said, uh, you could probably sympathize with what I was saying when I first started with the GoPro is like, absolutely I will not go in front of it. I'll not do that. And now, um, now it's like, once I get my mind wrapped around it, you know, close your eyes, visualize it. Okay, here we go. Yep. Now, I mean, I get it on a podcast. I can get on a YouTube video. I can film in front of other people. And if I am confident with what I'm talking about and I'm excited about what we're talking about, like all the stuff you asked me about today and more, it, it, I have to realize that podcasts have a length time limit for the most part where yep. people are going to listen because yep. now I can just go on and on and on and on and not have a problem about it, which is another reason why I started my own is because there's things that I want to go on and on and on about and, and be able to do that. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you twisting the podcast on me. That was kind of fun. I haven't had that happen yet on this <laughs> podcast, but, uh, Here we go. uh, I enjoy that. And I really appreciate your time, uh, here in North Dakota, we're having one of the most beautiful spring days. Uh, that I can remember, and I'm wasting your time on a podcast here when you could be out fishing. So, so I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can my listeners uh, find you and contact you? Yeah, not a problem. Like I said, thanks for having me on there. And I mean, there's there's still ice to be done, but I I don't get out and fish as much or hunt as much and during the week as much I do the weekend because I mean we've got to do all this stuff, which you know, but. Um, like I said, I have uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, now a podcast, and even the the younger kids' generation, the TikTok. I'm even on there. There you go. All wow. At Preston, all at Preston Out. <laughs> yeah, all at Preston Outdoors, which is just P R E S T O N, and then Outdoors on there. If you search that, um, like I said, if if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm not on Facebook as much because. It, with the way Facebook works, I mean, they don't send you your notifications right away on the messenger, but if anybody's got any questions, I got some younger 
um, kids that message me quite often or anything like that, get through me on Instagram, send me a, a DM there. It may take a day or two before it get pops up on, you know, notifications, stuff like that. But if you comment, same with the YouTube, Instagram, if anybody comments on anything, you're taking time out of your day to interact with my content, I will respond to, to anybody. And that's one of my things I have on my goals wall is to, if hopefully someday all this social media and all this stuff gets to where you're quote unquote famous or, or a big influence in industry, I'm not going to change as a person. And that's one thing is like, I will be interacting with everybody. So I appreciate that as a viewer. Yeah. 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 It's, it's something that I am a person to where if you, if we have this podcast five years from now and I'm on the professional stage, my bit, my schedule may be busier than what it is now, but I'm not going to change as a person. That's one thing before I started anything. I mean, that's one of my goals. So yeah, on all those social medias, the press and outdoors for basically all of them, I guess now, um, you can, you can find me there. Well, I appreciate your time. Hopefully we can have you on in the future. Uh, someday when you, uh, actually get into the professional ranks, we'll, uh, have you on to celebrate and, uh, uh, we'll have to have you on just to talk about fishing again. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.